Well, good morning, everyone. It's a, a, a warm welcome to a very fresh, uh, fresh Joburg winter's morning. I think winter has definitely come upon us in the last week or so, but glad that you braved the cold to be at the early service this morning. Um, I still see there are a few folk uh, coming in there, but welcome to, to every one of you who's joined us this morning, and uh, also to those who are joining us online uh, this morning as well. Good to have you with us, that you can't be here. That's, that makes our hearts sad, but we understand if you are unable to be here that you're joining us online. We, we're grateful for that. Uh, very special welcome to all our moms today. Um, uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you, and you should have received uh, a little chocolate on the way in. The contents of the chocolate is for you. The wrapper says, take a break, and that you need to give to your husband to remind him what today uh, is all about so that you can uh, take a break, but we're really grateful to the Lord for all our wives and, and mothers and uh, those that God has just put in our lives to, to lead and direct us in so many practical ways. And so we, we're grateful that you're here today and we thank the Lord for you. Uh, also, just a word of congratulations to Corin and Sebastian Fleur uh, on the recent birth of another grandchild to them. We thank the Lord for his faithfulness to them as a family and the blessing of, of a new life and pray that, that that little one will be a great blessing to them as a family. Uh, you would have seen uh, just before the service on the screen and also out in the foyer, uh, this month of May is our month when we collect blankets and jerseys, uh, and we have various ministries uh, connected to the church that we use to distribute those to in, in need, and if you feel the chilliness of this morning, uh, you know how much those who are less privileged than us will appreciate blankets and jerseys, so please do uh, just make use of this opportunity, go, go through your cupboards, uh, or perhaps even purchase new ones that you're willing to donate. Uh, what a blessing that would be to those as we go into the winter months, so please uh, make use of that, and you can contact the church office if you'd like more, more information regarding that. Um, then this coming Thursday uh, is Ascension Day, and uh, in the past we have sometimes held an um, Ascension Day service on the Thursday evening. We've had a very busy last six weeks or so with a number of church meetings and, and holidays that have disrupted our regular uh, gathering together of small groups. And so what we've decided this week is instead of gathering together on Thursday night for an Ascension Day service... We've asked all of our small groups this week to just take a break from what they're normally doing this week and to focus in their small groups on the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, what about those who aren't part of a small group? Well, there's a green sheet at the info desk with 17 options for you to join a small group this week. And I want to encourage you to do that. 17 options in this week where small group Bible studies are meeting uh, teenagers, ladies, men's, home groups, mixed groups, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, they're all on the list. And I would encourage you this week, if you're not part of a small group, and even if you don't plan to join a small group, just for this week, pick one of the 17 groups, join up with them as a visitor, contact the, the detail of the leader uh, is, is on the list, and you can contact them and just say you'd like to join their group for this week, and you'll be most welcome. I've already notified the, the, the group leaders to expect some visitors this week, but we would love everyone in the church to take an opportunity this week to connect up with a small group as we focus on the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please can I encourage you to, to make use of that opportunity. And then again, just a reminder that we don't take up any offering at the moment with regards to the COVID regulations. We're grateful to every one of you who continues to faithfully give to the Lord's work here at Honeyridge. 
Uh, again, just a reminder, if you are giving through EFT, uh, please just check your reference with regards to tithes or the care fund or missions as you'd like your, uh, your gifts to the Lord's work properly uh, allocated to that. Uh, and if you have come prepared to give to the Lord's work today, there is a box outside Kate's office and you can just um, put any offering in there. And then just lastly, again, a reminder of the COVID protocols. We are starting to hear the rumors again of, of a third wave and new variants that have come into the country. So let's continue to uh, do what we can to, to love each other by um, observing the social distancing and the wearing of masks, as well as honoring our government uh, at this time. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Um, just a extend my greetings to everybody and uh, yeah i'm so glad that you could make it to you on on this cold morning i know you all have your thermal um, face masks on but uh, we we're going to go into a time of worship now and uh, the focus for this morning um is is on worthiness and who is worthy of our praise and uh, Alison's going to read now um, Revelation 5 from, from verse 1 to 10 and i think that uh, makes it quite clear of of who is worthy of our praise reading from Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? <clears throat> but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look inside it. I wept and wept, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll, or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he is able to open the scroll with its seven seals. Then I saw one, like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and we, we bow down in worship of you, Lord. Nobody um, is able to, to claim the title that you do, that, uh, that you, you deserve um, and that you own, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are worthy of all praise and, and honor and glory. And, and so we ask that as we come before you now, um, we, we ask that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased in our offering of our worship um, through praise and through hearing your word and through sharing in fellowship. Um, Lord, we, we ask that in all things, that you would be pleased in, in the way that we, we serve you and, and live lives out in this way. We pray this in your wonderful name. So this morning, we, 
we're opening with a new song, um, and it's, it was one that was played a couple of times over the lockdown or online services, um, Is Anyone Worthy? It does have a, a little bit of a complexity, and it's, it's not complex in any way, but there's, there's a response part, and it'll be made clear on the um, overheads that there's a section that the worship team will sing and there's a section that everyone responds through. But we'll also sing the response part so that you know where to come in and, and go through. And yeah, I think that it's just such an incredibly scripturally based um, song coming out of this Revelation 5 passage that just reminds us of who is worthy of our praise. So let's stand and sing.
and be seated. Alison's going to continue reading the, the rest of that Revelation 5 chapter. I'm reading chap Revelations chapter 5, verses 10 to 14. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their numbers were countless, thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. It's just a, such an incredible picture of, of the throne room of heaven where um, the... the Everything is just centered around worshiping and praising, praising the Lord, praising God. And so we're going to continue now with one more song, and uh, that's Ancient of Days. So let's stand and sing. Thank you. 
You can take your seats once again. Let's, uh, let's enter into a time of prayer. We love you, O Lord, our strength. The Lord is our rock and our fortress, our deliverer, our God, our rock in whom we take refuge. He is our strength and our shield. He is our salvation and our stronghold. And we call upon you, O Lord, for you are worthy to be praised. Lord, we come to you this morning with many requests and we are a needy people. But we also come to you in joy and in love, in dependence on you as the loving, perfect Father who is pleased to supply every good need to his children. Lord, we, we remember our mothers on this day in particular and, and the mothers around us. We thank you for the incredible work that you do through them in raising, raising us and raising our children and caring for us uh, from the moment that you bring us into this world, totally helpless. And it's just such an incredible reminder um, this is the work that you do for us. For we no more able to stand before you as righteous without the work of Christ as we were able to look after ourselves in the day that we were born. Lord, godly mothers are worthy of praise and they reflect Jesus as they reflect Jesus. And we, we know that he is the one who is, who is due all our praise and our honor and our glory and our thanks. And so we thank you for this day that we can show special love to our mothers as we recognize their unique role that they play in the family structure that you have instituted. And we ask that you would protect the families that we have, Lord. We love our families and we, we want the family group to stay together. And we just know how incredibly um, pressured family units are in, in this time in our society and, uh, and Lord, we, we ask that you would just protect those and that you would help us as a church to just um, be, be a set apart from the world, that our families would be known to be together, to be loving and to, to care for one another and that that love would just extend out from the family unit that you've created into the hearts and the lives of those who are lost. Lord, may you be glorified through our families. But we just remember that uh, at this time in particular with the weather change, there's so many people who, who are unwell and uh, the, the, the threat of a, a third wave and just more COVID complications are, are on the rise. And, and Lord, we just ask that you would have your hand of protection on us um, and that you'd have your hand of healing on those who are well, unwell at this time. Um, Lord, we, we ask that you would also just particularly be with the medical workers who are working continuously under these difficult circumstances, Lord, and to, to a large degree, um, many of the, the immediate um, impact of, of COVID on, on our personal lives is, is starting to, to lessen and we're, we're getting comfortable with, with the new normal, but we know that just in, in a medical sphere there's just so much chaos and there's so so many um, so much work to still be done and we ask that you give them strength and lord we just lift our country's leadership to you we ask that you would give them wisdom as they seek to lead and to to operate an incredibly complex um, society and and political political environment lord we just know that there's there's a lot going on and uh, we ask that you would as you as you lead just uproot corruption in our country that you would you would provide us with with strong leaders who you would in, equip with 
the, the righteousness that, that needs to, to ensure that a government leads people um, with the people's best interest at heart. Lord, we, we bring our teachers and our schools to you. We know that, um, in particular, they are, they are struggling from, from the change and just from the disruption that COVID has brought in. And uh, as many schools are, are going back or unsure whether they are allowed by the government to go back or not, we just ask that you would give them wisdom and clarity and, and that you would just help them to ultimately seek to, to just equip the students with the skills, the learners that they're entrusted with, with the skills that they need to to. Yeah, go out into this world and be effective in, and to be equipped with um, the skills that need, they need to be employed and to be useful. Lord, we pray for our church leadership. There's, all of these things are linked. All of these things are, are not compartmentalized. And we, we ask that um, as the church deals with the challenges that the, the community that we live in that the, the world that we live in faces, that you would give them incredible insight and godly wisdom, that they'd be able to make the decisions that need to be made um, in, in a way that is pleasing to you, and that you would grow your church in this time of global turmoil. And Lord, as, as your word is preached this morning, we ask that you would equip Clinton to, to bring, bring it f- truthfully um, forwards, Lord, to, to not bring his his own opinion, but to bring the truth um, from, from you, Lord, that you would inspire him to be able to, in love, preach the truth. And so we pray all of these things in, in the wonderful and matchless name of the only, the only worthy God, the only true God. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song of God's loving kindness. This is a song that we introduced uh, last time that we we played as a team, and uh, we thought it would be good for us to be able to uh, do it again and uh, hopefully do it better this time. (laughs) So let's stand and sing. Sing for 
to rescue us with arms outstretched upon the cross the greatest gift there ever was of loving kindness the life to rescue us with arms outstretched upon the cross the greatest Opportunity, there we go. All right, we're back online. Thanks. Let's read together Luke chapter 15, reading from verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, 
Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's Word, and uh, we look forward to what God has in store for us from His Word today. Um, We are coming to these two parables, the lost and the found today, and have you ever known what it's like to lose something? Well, for my 40th birthday a couple of years ago, uh, my family bought me or should I rather say, agreed to let me buy, um, my first ever radio-controlled airplane. Uh, and so about six weeks before my birthday, after doing all my research online, I placed the order for my birthday present. And then I had to wait for it to ship from China. I was given a tracking number uh, from this company in China, and I was told it would take 21 days to arrive uh, at my door. Plenty of time uh, for my birthday. Well, the first, first week went by, and then the second week went by, and I could track the parcel every day, multiple times a day, from China uh, via Fiji to London, uh, and finally to Johannesburg, but then it disappeared. <laughs> Gone. Um, the tracking stopped updating, numerous phone calls to the, the national hub uh, of the South African post office proved futile, uh, emails to the supplier in China uh, was useless, my parcel was officially lost. And I, I felt quite helpless, um, my, my precious cargo. It seemed like everyone involved was simply blaming everyone else for its mysterious disappearance. And, and I was eventually left to come to terms with the fact that it was officially lost. I think God was dealing with an idolatry issue at the same time. I'm not sure, but be that as it may, it was gone. Um, and that feeling of having lost something of importance is, is not something that I would like to experience again soon. And yet, the reality is that all that really got lost on that occasion was a box with a toy. Not really anything of lasting or eternal value, and yet its loss was very distressing to me. And that made me think, especially as we come to these two parables, uh, about my heart attitude towards the lostness of something far more important than a big boy's toy. And that is the lostness of a human soul. Do I really grasp the eternal implications of what it means for men and women and boys and girls to be lost when they die? Have you given that much thought yourself? And if so, do we really have our priorities right when we consider the, the lostness of our family members or friends or, or colleagues at the office, let alone those who are lost around our city in their thousands? So we're going to look over the next couple of weeks at three parables which focus on God's heart towards lost sinners. And we're going to look at the first two of those parables this week, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then next week we're going to start probably a, a three-week series, mini-series within a series, on the parable uh, of the lost sons, more commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, 
but I'll show you in a couple of weeks' time that there's a lot more to it uh, than that. Now, as I mentioned last week, the, the impact of Jesus' parables, understanding them, is, is most deeply grasped when we understand the specific context into which Jesus spoke that specific parable. And so let's do that again this morning. Let's focus in the first place this morning uh, on the occasion for or of this parable or of these parables, the occasion of the parables. And for us to understand the occasion, we need to glance back to chapter 14. So just look back in your Bibles at chapter 14, verse 25. And there you will see that there were great crowds, large multitudes that accompanied Jesus, that were following him, that were listening to him. Crowds made up of many ordinary people, as well as a small group of the religious elite. And Jesus, if you just glance over verses 25 onwards, Jesus has been saying some very difficult things to the large crowds. He says, if anyone follows me and doesn't hate his mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not carry his own cross, uh, an instrument of torture and certain death, he cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, if anyone does not count the costs, he cannot be my disciple. And then he says, if anyone is not prepared to renounce everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. What incredibly hard things for that crowd to listen to. What incredibly hard things for us to process this morning. This is so different to so much of what is being dished up uh, as the so-called gospel today in so many churches, where it's, it's all about you getting. And here Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. And yet, look at what we find in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In response to these extremely hard things which Jesus has just been preaching to these large crowds, we find that the least likely people respond. The tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. There was, there was something about this man, something about his message, which despite it sounding absolutely crazy from a human perspective of our comforts, nevertheless, these people, we are told, were drawn to Jesus. The religious people, however, the ones who you would have thought would have responded to the preaching and teaching of Jesus, they were the ones who grumbled. And they didn't even engage with Jesus over his teaching. Instead, they complained and they judged Jesus for interacting with these sinful people. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, we, we recall that Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. And here we find that he's actually uh, being accused of being in intimate relationships with these sinners. He's eating with them. When last have you just invited a random stranger off the street into your home for a meal? We don't typically do that. We invite people that we want to get close to into our homes for a meal. And here we see that Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. He was in close friendship and fellowship with them. 
And so Jesus' preaching is, is drawing these sinners to himself. Despite their history, most of them we know would have been highly irreligious people. Nothing to do with the Jewish religion. They wanted nothing to do with any kind of formal religiosity. Some of these people were still currently living in clear opposition to the Scriptures, to the Word of God. Nevertheless, they draw near to Jesus. There was something about this man. There was something about his teaching that was different from the religiosity of the Jewish leaders, different from their preaching and their teaching in the synagogues. And these people, they wanted to know more. But the religious leaders... They wanted to know nothing of this teaching of discipleship. They were horrified that, that Jesus was breaking the, the religious protocol of the day. He was spending time. He was receiving sinners, eating with them. How shocking, how unacceptable. And so it's in the light of that background that verse 3 says, So Jesus told them. In other words, in the light of this, Jesus spoke these two parables, or these three parables, to the scribes and the Pharisees. I want us to see that both the parables that we're going to look at this morning, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, they both have a very similar structure and lesson, but there are differences between the two that also we need to take note of what Jesus is trying to show us in the differences of these two parables. So let's start off by considering the condition of the lost, the condition of the lost. And we're going to take the two parables together. In both parables, Jesus likens the sinner. She's referring to a person who we know is a person who is without God in the world. That's the, the biblical understanding. We're all sinners, uh, but we are sinners saved by grace. But the, the general understanding of the word sinner in this context is someone without God in the world. And firstly, Jesus likens the sinner to a lost sheep and then a lost coin. Now, we know that sheep are not the smartest of animals. They are mostly defenseless against any predator. Uh, they do not have sharp teeth or, or claws. Uh, they cannot run very fast. They are not good cl climbers. They're not particularly agile. And then on top of that, they're just not very bright. So the reality of this picture that Jesus is painting here is that if a sheep gets lost, if it gets separated from the flock, if it wanders off into the wilderness or, or the mountains, this sheep is in great danger. Danger from predators, danger from cliffs or, or dongas, uh, danger due to its own limited mental capacity, danger from itself. One commentator says that a sheep is unable to fight, unable to flee, and unable to find its way home. So the first parable is, is meant, I think, to instill in us a feeling of sympathy, a feeling of compassion for this lost, this defenseless sheep. So Jesus is saying that no matter how macho or intelligent or self-sufficient an unbeliever may profess to be, the reality of the spiritual state of every unbeliever is one of lostness, like a lost sheep, vulnerable, helpless, and hopeless. Gary last week read to us from Isaiah 53 verse 6, which makes it clear that every one of us who is outside of Christ is like the sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned, everyone 
to his own way. So that's the biblical description of every single one of us outside of Christ. But then the second parable shifts the metaphor slightly to refer to the unbeliever like a lost coin. Now, what's the difference between a lost sheep and a lost coin? Well, we know what they have in common. What they have in common is that they were both very valuable to the owner, and we'll, we'll consider that in a few minutes. But the difference between a sheep and a coin is that the one is a living creature, which kind of endears itself to our sympathy, whereas the other is an inanimate object, and it does not garner any sympathy or concern. You see, it's, it's relatively easy to feel sorry for the sheep, to think of that little fluffy lamb. It smells like stay soft. And it's, it's wandering around with these big eyes in this dangerous world, and tears roll down its cheek, and, and so we are drawn to feel sorry for this poor little sheep. But the coin, the lost coin, it doesn't evoke those emotions. It, it represents something quite different, something dead, something inanimate, it's got no life in it, something which has no life itself. The coin itself is not bothered that it's lost because it's dead. It's not able to be concerned about its lostness, and it certainly can't do anything about its lostness because it's dead. So this brings to mind a very different aspect, a different biblical dimension to our lostness as unbelievers, which is something that the Bible teaches, that sinners are not just lost and in need of sympathy, but sinners are just as much dead, objects of spiritual deadness, lost and they don't know it, lost and, and they don't care, lost and unable to do anything about it. Where do I get that from? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you, me, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's writing to Christians in Ephesus, and he says, Before you came to Christ, you were spiritually dead. Verse 12, Ephesians 2, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were lost, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. No hope and without God. Romans 5 says, it was while we were still helpless, powerless, that at the right time, Christ came to die for the ungodly. So the Bible makes it clear that the state of the unbeliever is one of spiritual deadness, spiritual hopelessness, totally powerless to change our situation. A wonderful Old Testament portion of this, I've read it before, but it's worth reading again, is Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 6, the, the passage of Ezekiel prophesying over that valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel says, the, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And we know what bones represent. We know bones represent death. And he led me around among them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. These are old, dead bones. And he said to me, the Lord said to me, son of man, can these bones live? 
It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, well, of course they can't. But Ezekiel wisely says, oh God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. What a picture of helplessness and deadness to describe the spiritual state of Israel and to describe the spiritual state of every unbeliever, unless God steps in to deal with our problem. And so I want us to see that the next thing we learn from this parable is the searching of the Savior. We've seen the condition of the lost, physically lost, spiritually lost, and spiritually dead. But now we see the searching of the Savior. In both parables, it's clear from the response of the owner that the lost sheep and the lost coin are valuable, valuable to the owner. In one case, it, it was only 1% of what he owns. In the other case, it was 10%. And I don't think the numbers are really meant to, to have too much significance because Jesus is just using what would have commonly been understood as normal in those days. The point is that both the one sheep and the one coin were very precious to the owner. And the fact that he had 99 other sheep and the fact that the lady had nine other coins did not change their commitment and their determination to seek out the one that was lost. I think this wonderfully speaks to us of the very individual nature of our salvation. We are not saved because we belong or are born into a Christian family. Children, I want to say that again. You are not saved because you are born into a Christian family. We are not saved because we belong to the Honeyridge Baptist Church. No, we are born into this life as lost individuals, and we need to be found. We need to be saved individually. And yes, when we are saved, we are saved into a family. We are saved into the body of Christ. We're saved into the church. We're saved into the kingdom of God. I'm not undermining that in any sense. Our, our Christianity and, and most of the Bible's understanding of our Christianity is in community. But salvation is firstly about an individual personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one-on-one. -on -one. It's you and God so we need to be found, and we need to be saved individually. We cannot hide in the crowds and think that we are okay. And I think this is particularly dangerous in a larger church like Honey Ridge. It's dangerous because we're in COVID, and we have multiple services, and we have the online service, and, and it's easy to kind of think that I belong to the church and yet not truly have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this point really teaches us then something wonderful, something which was previously hidden. This is the, the hidden reality that's now been revealed, and that is that Jesus Christ actively pursues and searches for those who are lost. In the first parable, we see that the owner of the sheep, he leaves the 99, and he goes after the one that was lost. Until he finds it, and when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, takes it home, and there is great rejoicing. 
Please notice what Jesus says about the searching of this sheep owner. It says he searches until he finds it. And when he has found it, he carries it home. There is no option for failure here. We have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ who is committed not to just generally befriend sinners, not just generally to preach to those who are lost. But what do we see? He is a Savior who pursues individuals, each one individually, until he finds them and he brings them home rejoicing. You may recall, it comes a little bit later in Luke 19, of another corrupt tax collector, sinner, called Zacchaeus, who had an encounter with Jesus and was converted. And listen to what Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 9. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, since he also, this sinner, this tax collector, is also a son of Abraham, a true child of God. And then Jesus says, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to do what? to seek and to save the lost. That's Jesus' purpose. We also see coming out of this second parable that the woman goes to great effort, continues with great perseverance until she finds that coin. Men, she does not look as most of us look, with a kind of cursory glance over the horizon. No, she lights a lamp. She gets a broom. She sweeps every square inch of the floor. She searches diligently until she finds it. And not only does this parable teach us that Jesus actively pursues the lost sinner, there's great comfort in that. Failure is not an option. I hope you can see that. But I want you to see that the owner looks for what already belongs to him. The owner looks for what already belongs to him. This is clear from both parables. The man lost one of his sheep. The woman lost one of her coins. And in the next parable, the father loses both his sons. So how do we then understand this truth in the light of the fact that there are many people, many people you and I might know personally who die in their sin? People who go to a a lost eternity because they ended this life without salvation, without Christ. What does it mean then that the owner pursues that which already belongs to him? Well, in John's gospel, John chapter 6, Jesus explains how this works. John 6 verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Here's the will of God the Father. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep 
hear my voice. My sheep, they hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, again, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, for I and the Father are one. And he says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, unpacks this for us. And he helps us to understand what's going on here. He says to us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, the natural person, the unbeliever, the, the lost sinner, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, does not accept the preaching of the gospel, does not accept their the need for salvation. Why? For these things are foolishness to them. In actual fact, he says they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually hidden from their eyes. So we see here in Scripture that it is not every sinner who is pursued in the same way. We know that the gospel call goes out to to everyone in a general sense every time it is preached. But what Jesus is speaking of here is his personal pursuit of those whom the Father has given to him in order that not one will be lost. Now, there may be some here today who say to me, Clinton, this is sounding awfully much like you are talking about election. You know that teaching in the Bible that says that God just randomly chooses some to go to heaven and he randomly chooses others to go to hell. I don't like that word election and I don't want to hear another word about it. Well, I understand how you feel on a human level, especially if you think about election the way that I've just described it. We have to come to God's word today and and see what it actually says here to see if it, it is really something that we should be resisting or rather something that we should be embracing. And I think these parables start to, to get, help us get our head around the amazing truth of our salvation and this wonder of the fact that we have a searching Savior. You see, contrary to popular belief, and here's where many people go wrong, the Bible tells us that we are not basically all good people living basically good lives in search of God through the various offerings of spirituality available to us on the worldwide menu of religion today. No, the Bible says that by nature, you and I, apart from a relationship with Christ, are lost. Every one of us is lost. Every one of us is hopeless We are oblivious of our spiritual condition. We are blind to our own blindness. Isn't that scary? To be blind is one thing. To know that you're blind is at least a step in the right direction. To be blind to the fact that you're blind, that's scary. And that's the spiritual reality of our souls. We are ignorant of our state before God. We are ignorant of the eternal danger which awaits us. And yet, in contrast to that, we are very much alive in the flesh. As we read in Ephesians, we are alive in following after the prince of the power of the air. On the one hand, we are spiritually dry bones in a valley of dry bones. 
And just like this lost coin, we are not able to find God. We're not able to bring ourselves to light. And guess what? We don't really care. Go back to your unconverted days if you're a Christian here today. You didn't give two hoots about the fact that you were offending a holy and a righteous God. I know I certainly didn't. And this is the plight of all mankind. Not morally good or even morally neutral, whatever that may mean. But no, we are sinners. We are spiritually dead. We are alienated from God and we are without hope in this world. We are lost And that is not only our condition by nature. We weren't just born into that. That would have been bad enough. But it is also the condition of our choice. Unbelievers freely choose to live happily in defiance against God every day. As Ephesians says, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So it's against that bleak, morbid reality of our spiritual deadness, our spiritual lostness, that Jesus comes and he tells us these two parables, these three, which we'll get on to next time, to, do, to show us what? To show us the wonder of God's electing love. That God, instead of leaving us to all die in our lostness, to all die in our sin, to all die in our hopelessness, what does he do? Jesus comes into the world and he pursues those whom the Father has given to the Son. And guess what? He pursues us relentlessly until he finds us. And when he finds us, he calls us. He makes the the dry bones come alive. He removes the heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He, He gives faith to us, to believe in him. He lifts the spiritual veil of darkness that is over our hearts and our minds. He gives us his Holy Spirit who draws us to willingly and freely respond to the gospel of his great love and this offer of free salvation. I want you to realize today that without the doctrine of election, without the fact that God chooses to pursue sinners to salvation, we would all still be lost sheep and dead coins. I don't know about you, but the more I realize my own sinfulness as a Christian, my own weakness as a believer, the more I see how prone I am to wander from the path of Jesus and the more I recognize my own inability to change my own heart, the more and more as a Christian I begin to find great comfort in this pursuing, electing love of God that he chose me. I have no idea why. That he pursued me even though I was running away in the opposite direction, that he gave me faith to see what I'd been missing so that I could find salvation in Jesus, my Lord. Ephesians 1 verse 4 declares that God chose me before the foundation of the world. If you're a Christian here today, God chose you before the foundation of the world. I have no idea why. And then he gave his son, his perfect son, 
to be the sacrifice for my sins, to pay the price, to accomplish my salvation. Then he made me alive, spoke the power of life into me, and made me one of his children. It had nothing to do with me. Perhaps this is the first time today that you are hearing about God's electing love. It means you weren't here when I preached through Romans. But perhaps this is the first time that you're grappling with it today. You may have many questions. That's good. I want to encourage you to ask them. Ask the questions. Seek the answers in the Bible. And I invite you to to make an appointment. Come and see me. I will happily work through these questions with you. One of the other elders will happily work through these things with you. But let me encourage you to accept what God's word is revealing to us today, to realize that unless God pursued you as a lost sheep, searched for you like a lost coin, you would still be lost today. I didn't plan to say this, but people often will say to me, but, but what if I want to be saved and I'm not elect? The fact that you want to be saved is because Jesus has pursued you. It's a null argument. It's null and void. The fact that you are here today is because Jesus is pursuing you. The fact that you're tuning in online is because Jesus is pursuing you. Don't get into all these kinds of what-if scenarios. Take God's word at face value and thank God that he's a God who pursues you. So we've seen the condition of the lost. We've seen the searching of the Savior. I want to end briefly with the rejoicing in heaven. The rejoicing over the discovery of the lost is clear in both. The man over his sheep, the woman over the lost coin. And Jesus tells us exactly what this means. He he says it twice, slightly differently. Verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Those 99 righteous people who need no repentance are all in heaven, by the way, because there's none of them on earth. Luke 15, verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't this another incredible spiritual mystery which has now been revealed to us through this parable? To know that when you and I become a Christian, there is great rejoicing in heaven, rejoicing among the very angels of heaven as they are gathered around the throne of God, the King of kings. We've just been singing, he is worthy, he is worthy. And what are these angels doing? They are rejoicing before the Lamb with much thanksgiving over one sinner who repents. We are so preoccupied in this social media world of ours with acceptance. Acceptance with our peers, acceptance with our colleagues, being liked. We constantly are looking for ways that others will appreciate us, will will accept us. These verses tell us that if you are a Christian today, the hosts of angels in heaven are rejoicing over you. They are waiting in eager anticipation to welcome you into glory and to present you with Christ before God for all eternity. This is the only acceptance that ultimately matters. Acceptance with God because we have come to believe on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
So as we conclude this morning, I want us to see that there are really two points of application this morning. And again, this parable once again divides us into one of two groups. The first point of application is for the unbeliever this morning. For those of you who have not yet repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation. And the application is this. If you're an unbeliever today, you are lost and you need to be found by the Savior. It's quite simple. Now, this brings you to a slight dilemma because you may be like the lost sheep this morning and have some realization that you are actually lost and and you may have some understanding of the eternally dangerous situation that you are facing, but you don't really know how to be saved. Well, what do you think a lost sheep does when it suddenly comes to the realization that it's lost? It starts to bleat. I won't demonstrate. (laughs) It calls out into the, the darkness of the wilderness night to be found by the shepherd. What does the captain of a ship do when he realizes that his ship is starting to sink? He grabs the radio and he yells out, Mayday, Mayday. What does a person do who's been trapped under a pile of rubble when an earthquake brings a building down on top of them? They cry out to the rescue workers, help, I'm down here. You see, we find it absolutely normal and reasonable to cry out for help in every circumstance of life's catastrophes. It's human nature to want to live. That's that's what God put in us, to do whatever we can to be rescued. And yet when we speak about salvation, ah, that's for the weak and the needy. We don't need to call on God to save us. We we can do it ourselves. How foolish. Can you imagine the captain of a sinking ship or the person trapped in the the air bubble in an underground collapsed mine saying, I'm not going to call for help. Help is only for weaklings. How ridiculous. And yet that is why some of you are still here today as unbelievers. That's why some of you are watching here today as unbelievers. And you may well end up not at the bottom of an ocean or a mine, but in the grip of hell for all eternity because you've allowed your sinful pride to stop you from calling out to God to rescue you from your lostness. You've tried for so long to make it through your life on your own terms, by your own strength. You're not going to give the reins to God. You're a modern-day version of Frank Sinatra. You want to go to the grave of eternal punishment saying, I did it my way. But there may be some of you here this morning who are not like the sheep who realize that you are lost, but you are like that inanimate coin. You've been sitting here for the last half an hour saying, what is this oak going on about? You are lost, and you are unaware of your lostness. For you, all I can do is to declare the living word of God to you, as Ezekiel did over that valley of dry bones. And all I can do is to pray that the almighty breath of God will come and make you alive. Ezekiel 37 verse 7, let me read on. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, which really means to speak the word of the Lord over the bones, there was a sound, behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. If you're a believer here this morning, won't you pray with me for God to send the living breath of his Holy Spirit to make the lost hear the word of God this morning. And then just lastly, the final application is then for us who are Christians this morning. This parable of Jesus cries out to us that we are responsible as Jesus' disciples to go and search for the lost, to bring them into the family of God. Despite all that I've said today about God's electing love and God pursuing us to bring about salvation in us, it's all a work of God. The Bible also teaches us that God has enlisted us as Christians in this great work of gospel proclamation to go and to preach to the dry bones, to proclaim the gospel to the lost sheep, to search diligently for the lost coins, and to pray for their salvation. Some of you are wrestling perhaps with unconverted spouse, an unconverted child, an unconverted loved one. It's not our job to convert sinners. That's God's job. He can do that. But it is our work to seek after the wandering sheep, to pursue them, to come alongside the dry bones in, in friendship and love, to search them out, to invite them into our homes for meals, to befriend them so that through our obedience to the chief shepherd, he will then do his work in their lives, uh, in the lives of those whom the Father has given to the Son. Therefore, Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God so working together with him then, we appeal to you to not receive the, God, the grace of God in vain. For God says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, says Paul, today is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. May God be pleased to have his way in our hearts today and help us uh, to be these soul winners uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you again this morning for your word that reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ in a new and a fresh way, as not just a friend of sinners, but as the one who is the pursuer of our souls. Lord, not one of us who is a Christian here today would be here today unless you had not pursued us. And so we want to thank you that you did not walk away when we rejected you once and twice and 10 times and 100 times over our life. You kept on pursuing us, for no one can snatch us out of your Father's hand. 
So we want to thank you for these truths today that reveal to us the wonderful blessing of our salvation, the wonderful security of our salvation, the absolute indebtedness that every one of us has who is a child of God today to live every moment of our lives for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for not having this same heart for the lost that Jesus had for us. Lord, where would we be if you treated us the way we treat so many lost people around us. So won't you help us to grasp afresh your love for us, your unconditional love for us. And may you give us this deep burden to both reach out and proclaim your word and pray for your Holy Spirit to make alive those who are lost. We know that you will receive all the praise and all the glory for this great work of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to close the service now, and then we're going to sing so that when we're done, you can, you can go out. Um, as, we, as we're just sort of preparing to go into the Ascension Week, um, I thought that it would be appropriate to finish with the end of uh, Luke chapter 24, where Jesus has, uh, has you know, revealed himself to the, the Twelve, and uh, we read from Luke 24, uh, verse 45, and it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And I think that's a desire that we all should all have. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer um, on the third day and rise from the dead, and the, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. For behold, I am sending my promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. So join us for tea or coffee after, this, after the song. Uh, let's stand and praise, this, praise our Lord once, once more. Oh,